everybody. Welcome to season four on the Abstract Podcast. Okay, episode four. Episode no. one. Season four, episode one. It's January 29th, and we're back in the depths of Tacoma Falls College. It's been a couple months since we recorded. Yeah. Uh, we've had a break from classes and now heading into final semester of senior season. But, Javen, would you do anything over the break? Had the holidays. Okay, I hope that wasn't super loud. I was moving my mic. Yeah, man, it's awesome to be back. Um, I've really been looking forward to coming back in the studio and starting up a new season and maybe our last season. Who knows? This is uh, our last semester here at Tacoma Falls College together. But we just came back off of an awesome, I guess it was awesome. It was a a much needed winter break. Mm -hmm. So yeah, man, um, we started classes back up. But what did you do over the break? I spent a lot of time with family, which was fun. Um, Remodeled my bathroom, which was the main project that took some time. I um, actually got to spend Christmas Eve cleaning off grout from my shower because I made a mistake. So, um, do you remember that? It, it aired a long time ago. There was this commercial for it was either Lowe's or Home Depot where the guy's doing his shower and he like gets all the grout finished on the tiles and then like one falls off and then like two falls off. Okay, and they just all like come streaming back off. I've never seen that one, but the whole scene that was playing in my head the whole time I did my shower tile was the scene from um, the old uh, the Cosby Show. And Bill Cosby's up there fixing his shower, and it happens like two or three times. He leaves, and then like one falls off, and then they just all keep falling off. And so I kept waiting for that to happen and happen. It didn't, and it was just a grout problem. But anyway, it's fixed, and the bathroom's done now, and that's what I did. Read some good books, got to spend a lot of time with my wife and son and family, and it was a really good break, really nice. needed break. What about you? I just basically worked, tried to, like, pay off this semester. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I worked for my dad building a lot of trusses. And, well, one opportunity that's been cool is um, I've started doing some videos for people where they actually pay me. <laughs> so I think whenever you start doing something, you just start doing it for free as much as you can. And then eventually you might get paid. So that's been cool. I got to do a video, two videos for the pregnancy mm-hmm. or the Foothills Care Center in Westminster and I just did one for Aimright. I think there might have been one more. But that's been something I've been really enjoying. I actually just got a new computer so I can do it better. It's been really fun. We also, I think the highlight of my winter break was my wife and I got to go to Phoenix. We spent about a week right. out there to go see my brother Luke. So that was that was pretty cool. Um, nice break, break from the weather. Yeah. Oh, so beautiful. And there were oranges blue, like growing on trees. One of my favorite parts of the whole trip was... I'm just riding a bike down a road, and there was an orange laying on the sidewalk, and I just picked it up and ate it. I was like, this is how winter should be. <laughs> I'm with that. I'm with that. It's cold right now. Um, yeah, did you guys, y'all just around here? Yep. We didn't go anywhere. Uh, I honestly can't remember if we went one place besides just local stuff. We did some hiking a little bit here and there. Yeah. And it was very enjoyable, though. It was nice just to have a break from some of that stuff and got to work, pay off some bills, and plenty of time with your family and reading. Well, I heard you also had a wreck. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, End of December. I was picking some stuff up early one morning from Lowe's for the bathroom I was remodeling. Anyway, it's coming back, and it was probably 8 or 9 in the morning, but here there was a heavy fog that morning, 
and it was below freezing and that fog settled on a bridge on 123 and it was like a sheet of ice on it. So is, that, I, is that black ice? Uh, I guess it'd technically be black ice. I don't know. It wasn't rain or ice. or anything. It was clear day. That's what threw me off. I wasn't expecting it. So fog can freeze? Mm, it was that really heavy fog when I went into town and I broke loose on my way into town at one place, but I recovered. And I was fine, <laughs> whatever else. But anyway, coming back, hit a bridge, iced over, broke loose, slammed into the concrete, then it spun me around and then into the guardrail. So totaled my truck, uh, but it's still drivable. So <laughs> there are benefits. <laughs> that sounds a lot like what happened. Not a lot. Somewhat like what happened but was it like two and a half years ago. We totaled our van, but still. Oh, that's right. Actually, that wasn't really drivable. No, <laughs> we tried to make it drivable, but nearly. That just popped up on my Facebook memories. Yeah. Uh, well, it was a year ago that we did the episode about it. Oh, yeah. It had been at least a year since then. So this has been at least two or two and a half years ago. I have found, like, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching middle school right now, and I found it's instant street cred to, like, reference a trip like that. <laughs> um, I mentioned it the other day because we were talking about – we were talking about biomes, and we were talking about the um, West Coast, what, what kind of um, yeah, yeah. ecosystem biome. Anyway, so I mentioned that, and a bunch of kids piped up, whoa, serious? I want to do that. <laughs> like, ha, I got, got some street shit like, now. super embellished it. Like, oh, I know. I had all kinds of law-breaking and <laughs> awesome stuff out there. Mostly we just sweated in a van. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, – yeah, you said you're student teaching. Why don't you? Yeah, no, senior year. So I have one class on campus Monday evenings. And then other than that, I'm a full-time teacher. So I have four classes, 94 students, or 93. Um, two advanced classes, two regular classes, seventh grade science in North Habersham Middle. So um, it's busy. Uh, I have a lot to do with it. And then w- within that is I'm creating my senior project, mm-hmm. which is like a 20, 30-page um yeah, proof or evidence of my practice. Or my so, pedagogy. like, with teaching kids like that, you said it was mm-hmm. four different classes? Yeah. Like, I'm just curious how that works. Do you feel like you can go in and, like, teach the material, or do you have to, like, do a lot of studying and prep to get ready? I wish I had more time to just study material uh, because it's all I can do right now. I'm sure seasoned teachers have figured it out a little bit more, but to just grade keep lessons planned, and keep the classroom managed and keep everything going as it's supposed to. Keeping up with, because we have, you know, all of a sudden you have a kid that goes virtual. So then you got to put your assignments online and have them ready to go offline. Anyway, um, so that's made it made it complicated. So, and then you have different, my biggest class I think is 28 students and my smallest is maybe 20, 21, something like that. So you have different sizes and yeah. it. But like you're lecturing. Mm-hmm. So like, do you feel like it's stuff that you know that you can just talk about or do you have to like, really study uh most of the stuff i've known yeah. yeah it's 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 i mean it's not like it's basic but yeah it's it's kind of the stuff that i've studied enough in other college courses things like that i just need to read a little bit refresh my brain and then and then you can stuff talk kind of comes it. back you just kind of need that little portal to open yeah. up a little bit um because it's it's a muscle you don't always use that much so that's really cool but yeah. basically so you're paying and instead of being taught <laughs> you actually have to do all the work yeah, so and you still get to pay for I'm it. Paying to be a full-time what a, teacher. What a privilege. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. It, it's been good. It's been challenging and probably will be for the next. So I, I've got, I'll be a full-time teacher for at least five weeks and then I'll go back to just one class a day again. Okay. Um, and finish that out. And then, so then once you graduate at the end of the semester, then you're ready to, to be hired full-time. Hire me. Yep. Nice. Yep, be ready for a job. So, and then you're starting your senior project. Yeah. How many pages is that? So, uh, I don't even know. We, so I'm also in my last semester. 
and I actually don't have to teach. <laughs> I just get to sit there. But uh, so I have four classes, and it's really it's cool. I'm doing a class called Romans and Galatians because I need another Bible elective. I'm doing a class called Senior Seminar, which is the capstone for the Bible and theology program. And then I'm also doing Christ Communication Culture, which is the capstone for the communication program. So those are both cool seminar classes. They're a little bit smaller. Yeah, it's kind of like the last one that you take, and so then both those have are a, enjoyable. Yeah, and I think that I think it's gonna be fun. They're both gonna overlap. So for the Bible one, we have to do a statement of faith. It's like we have to write. <laughs> That'll actually be good podcast material because yeah. you'll have to help me figure out what I believe about everything yep. because it's I mean like church, the spirit, baptism, God, salvation, sin, just anything you can think of. Like you have to have a stance and position on it. So it's really difficult. Seeing as how we've been uh, wrestling through that for two thousand years as a church. I know. They said you don't have. They said like so you can't use any first person pronouns like I or we. Oh, so okay. like you actually have to make the statements, but. Burris was saying, like, you can kind of lead with, the scriptures are not entirely clear on this matter, you know, <laughs> it's like a little ambiguous. Or Christians have been divided yeah, over this yeah, issue. Exactly. For, yeah, exactly. But you just have to, you especially have to right. show that you know what the right. positions are. You know and the then ins you have and to kind of take one. Yeah. And then, so then anyway, for Christ communication culture, um, I think the, the final project is producing a paper about your theology of culture. So both of them are kind of like, here's what I think about you know, culture, communication, and uh, faith, I guess, everything yeah. else. Yep. And then I'm also really excited. I get to take a um, family counseling class. So it's it's a counseling class, but it's from the perspective of, like, family counseling, which is something I wasn't really familiar with, but it was open and I could take it, and it was at a time I could take it. So that's been really fun, too. I'm actually hoping to maybe be a counselor after. So... I guess that's kind of the difference when, you, when you're when you doing secondary yeah. education as a major. Like, you know what you're going to do. You do communication as a major, you, you get to push that decision down the road. Yeah. So. Yeah. That or, like, yeah, because, like, a, a philosophy or communication, it's yeah. wide open. But teaching is a little finer field. Um, let's talk a little bit about – let's spend some time talking about things we've been thinking about. Um Ooh. Yes. Start off maybe um, some things you've been thinking about maybe that have been inspired by any books, movies, music, or anything like that from the break. Yeah, the break was great. Um, I've I've kind of found a, a rotation of podcasts that I've been keeping up with and just really enjoying listening to pretty much everything that they come out with. Um, there's this one called Real Dictators. I've heard of that one. That really helped me. I don't know how to say that. It helped me get through the workday, just day after day. I, I listen to all of the stuff they put out. It's really cool. They talk about dictators. Like Mao. And, yeah, Mao, Hitler, yeah. Stalin, um, a guy from Haiti, I think, and then the, the South Korean guy. Um, yeah, Kim Jong. Or is it North? North Korean. Yeah. The South, yeah. That's important to just <laughs> make a distinction. What's Kim Jong-un, but it's his dad. It's the other guy. That one's yeah. really cool. And then I also listened to An Oral History of the Office. Fascinating. Are you into The Office? I honestly have seen maybe two episodes. Oh, man. Okay. So my wife made me watch the whole thing. Alicia, she, she's like, this is awesome. You have to watch it. And I didn't like it to start with, but I really fell in love with it. If, and then now that this it's over, there's like 10 seasons. It feels like I lost friends that I don't see anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really good. That's how it often feels after a good TV show. I keep up with The Holy Post and mm-hmm. then the Jordan B. Peterson podcast. I often listen to what they put out. I like those. Got to set aside some time for those. 
like two hour episodes. Yeah, they can be long. He does he does lectures and interviews, so it's oh, kind okay. of mixed up. Okay. And then I also I made a point to read some fiction over the break because mm-hmm. I don't read enough fiction. So I read Virgil Wonder, which yeah. was you bought that book for someone else, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Did you read it? I have no. not read it. It's good. It was a good story. And then I also just read a good old John Grisham book, The, nice. the Broker. Yeah. Nice. That was fun. Yeah, honestly, I've read like one paragraph of a John Grisham book. <laughs> it's a good paragraph. <laughs> what about you? What did you, uh, or did you read anything over the break? Yeah, I read some. I'm still in the middle of a couple of them. Um, two of them I finished over the break would have been, one was uh, Who's Afraid of Postmodernism by James K.A. Smith. Yeah, that book's that actually on my desk right now. I've read about a quarter of it. That's That book was fantastic. It was, it's, I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily say super dense, but, but it takes some time. you got to work through it a little bit. Um, but I absolutely loved it. And yeah, it was I think, super helpful for where I was at. Um, and and anyway, it kind of started me on, I've been kind of binge reading him a little bit. So I'm in the middle of You Are What You Love, and I'm almost done with On the Road with St. Augustine. Also, both of those are by him. Yeah, James K. Smith is cool. Oh, man, he's got if some you have fantastic stuff. about postmodernism, cultural studies, I don't know this what guy else just to say. Knows but the like, ins and outs of, he, if you want to know, yeah. From a Christian perspective and how to not be afraid of it. Yeah. <laughs> he is really good. Even just to understand like yourself and your thinking and different epistemological claims and forces that are at work that shape us and form us and anyway, and how to be better formed by Christ as the church. So it's fantastic. And then um, actually one of my favorite books I read was how to be unlucky by josh gibbs oh yeah i wanted to ask you about that joshua oh, gibbs yeah. is an interesting guy yes uh he's so he's a classical educator um but how to be unlucky is it's uh the subtitles personal reflections on virtue i believe um kind of a rambling book um tells a lot of stories but anyway so what does it have to do with being unlucky um not much except <laughs> i mean kind of the idea that well, he uh, like it's intentional, not lucky, or no? not necessarily, but just such a high view of suffering and putting yourself through hard things so that you learn oh, to enjoy okay. what is truly good. So, you know, an example um, um, for him, even just simple things like knowing that the, the passion by uh, is it Beethoven? Beethoven's passion? I forget. Bach? I forget. Anyway, he said for him it didn't naturally like that's something that has stood the test of time and is just it's something that's goodness. Okay, and but you have to train yourself to love that goodness. And part mm-hmm. of that means subjecting yourself and becoming a servant of that music until it has formed you in a way, until you love it. Yeah, that's a really interesting idea. I heard, I can't remember what podcast it was on I was listening to, and the guy was a professor. I don't think the professor was on. There was a story about him. It's like the kid came to it, into his office with um, Augustine's book, Confessions. Oh, yeah. And he was like, why are they, do we have to read this? It's so boring. And the guy was like, no, <laughs> actually, you're boring. <laughs> the book is not boring. You're boring. Right. And if you can't read it, you need to push through it because, you know, you need to reform yourself. Right. Yeah. And he's a classical educator. So the whole idea with that is you get him to read the classics, uh, Augustine, Plato, Aristotle, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever else. And it's through becoming um, like submitting ourselves to those works that they actually can shape us and form us because those have stood the test of time. And, and now we can say, like, this is truly goodness. Um, mm. Or you can be shaped, even if, and so like he makes the point, like even if their content wasn't the greatest, like they're, um, or like you don't agree with it, like the way they have asked questions of what it means to be human and worked through that, even just working through that from a different um, tradition than your own can actually shape and form you into a person who better embodies goodness. Yeah, there's really so. something about reading something that's 2,000 years old. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, sure. the Bible is one of those things, but there are other right. works too. It's like, this has really been around for a while. Right. Anyway, so that's a fantastic book. Highly recommend. And then the last thing I'm working through, I read it just in the mornings um, right now, is The Courage to Stand by Russell Moore. And great book. Yeah, um, I've really appreciated Russell Moore's voice oh, through the last, I don't know, year, but even especially through the last two months. It's a yeah. lot of craziness. Russell yeah. Moore is really great. Been guy. consistent as can be for however long I've ever known him. And, and I think the thing that was really that I really appreciate about this book is he's one of those guys, like he's fiercely articulate. Um, he's clear, all these kind of things. And it, it can have that, um, austere of like almost feeling. I always felt that like that was kind of the level to ascend to, like he's kind of reached it. And this book is him just kind of opening up, even recounting when he struggled suicidally as a, as a teenager. And like, you just hear him work through and like, you can, now that since I've followed his writings for several years, I can place when he puts different fears and when he was feeling different blowbacks from people, and he's just working through those. Um, it's a profound thing to see, you know, someone you hold and ad, um, admire like that, working through his own level of fears and angst and all that. Anyway, good yeah, stuff there. That is good. I th- I think that kind of takes us so sort of into what we want to talk about next. But so there has been so much craziness in the world. Mm-hmm. Well. I say in the world, I think we say that really fast, in America anyway, in the last couple months, um, with the end of one president and then all the chaos, and then now we have a new president, just everything about this last political season was just (laughs) crazy. Actually, yesterday I was wandering around um, Pendleton with my wife, and we wandered into this antique bookstore. No, just antique store. They had everything you could possibly imagine from cigar boxes to Coca-Cola bottles with the Coke still in them from probably like 100 years ago. Anyway, and I was just, I was flipping through this magazine from the like 1946 and just, it was just amazing just to see, <laughs> see the world as it was like 80 years ago. And, mm-hmm. you know, there was even people in there that were, I think, I forget the president. They were griping about whoever the president was at that time and just the great control he was exerting over America and, you know, you just see, like, it's it's the same stuff, man, mm-hmm. just over and over. But one thing that's not the same is how we experience it. All these things happen, but we experience it differently. And so um, one way that we experience it is on this podcast. We kind of try right. to process through it. So this season, we're not exactly sure what all we're going to talk about, but we're going to try to get into really interesting things. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the past, we've talked a lot about politics. I don't know. We might talk about that, or we might kind of yeah. steer away from that. But one thing that I did want to ask you was, um, we were largely apart for apart. It sounds like we're in a relationship or married <laughs> or something. We were largely not doing the podcast over the break. Yeah. So, you know, yep. what was all that like for you and how did you experience it? And then let's also talk about social media consumption and mm-hmm. approach. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm trying to think where to start. Let, let's start with social media. Cause what I found is kind of coming through reading that book, how to be unlucky by Josh Gibbs, which talked about basically becoming, it was, it was, a lot of ways become a defense of becoming a good and virtuous person. So mm-hmm. um, he, uh, well, he basically talks about how the modern man is super suspicious of anything that smells even remotely of what he would call works righteousness. And, um, you know, he just kind of pushes his back about, he pushes back against that idea. And actually, anyway, that needs more to be said on that later. But basically, I was inspired by that to recognize and through the work of 
James K. A. Smith, which helped me identify different what he would call cultural liturgies that mm. shape and form how you interpret events and how they are shaping your brain to respond in certain ways and to where I am less rational. In fact, the idea of me <laughs> just being an autonomous rational self is largely, if not completely, a myth. Um, and so anyway, so working through a couple of different those ideas at the same time led me to a place where I finally just stopped going on Facebook because it just seemed like a hot mess. Just altogether. Altogether. Yeah, um, so like at what point did you jump off the ship? That would have been maybe January 4th. It was a couple of days before the Capitol um, was stormed. rioting. Yeah. Okay, so even before that? I think. I believe so. Yeah. I can't remember for sure. But, um, and so what I tried to fill that time with instead is listening to audiobooks or just reading books in general, um, or playing with my son or something like that. And I found, so I went back on one day cause I wanted to check something and I clicked on something and there was comments and stuff. So I, I read through some of the comments on a political take and I read through some of it and I just felt this great depravity seep into my soul and I immediately closed it out and like I almost felt like I needed a detox after that Um, because this was after doing for several weeks being off of Facebook Mm -hmm. and and I found something profound and and like you have to I don't know so I've been I've been resonant because on the flip side like for me as an Enneagram 9 to just kind of disassociate with things is actually uh, my preferred yeah, that's, that's because, your temptation. Because, yeah, because that doesn't force me to ever be better or check my own assumptions I have about the world. Yeah. And for me, having opposing viewpoints is, is hard for me to hear sometimes, and I'm stubborn in my viewpoints. But anyway, um, so, like, but I found, like, if I would just take and to try to understand by reading periodicals or reputable news sources, mm-hmm. more full-length articles, um, or something like, you know, um, the dispatch, the dispatch daily and just kind of mm-hmm. go through and that they have detailed reports. And anyway, so I still was able to keep kind of an idea of what was going on in the world and read reactions to it. But um, it helped when I wasn't seeing as many people I know respond to it, because mm-hmm. um, I think it just makes it harder to love your neighbors sometimes mm-hmm. if you have different viewpoints than them, especially in something like that. Um, but I also felt it just it helped me. Like I had less of a propensity to want to become outraged um, or yeah. or like there was still I felt I don't mean this in elitist or yeah. arriving way, but it felt like I could actually get outraged more at problems instead of seeing people someone's <laughs> name attached to some dumb comment they make yeah. and then going, sure. oh, my word, whatever. So anyway, I was generally encouraged and I don't know if I'll go back on Facebook. So you, you've been off since January 4th. Mm. And it's January 29th, and you're yeah. still alive. And I'm still alive. You made alive. it without and, social media. And I, I'm, I'm loving it. So I, I don't know if I'll, I don't know. I, I really enjoy not being on. So I'm still on Twitter, but I don't really. I think I follow one or two people that I know on Twitter. Um, but that's more a way where I can kind of curate periodicals that people are writing. Mm-hmm. I can keep in touch with thought leaders and see what they're how they're thinking about the days. Anyway, so that's where I'm at with it. Some and you've made somewhat similar. Oops. Yeah. Like how was it for yeah, you? Yeah, so some of that? it's so interesting. I when I was listening to you talk about that, the word I keep thinking of, of is immediacy, and I think one thing that social media always has is immediacy. And so it's, you know, someone wrote something, mm-hmm. and it's only going to be up for like twenty four hours, unless the argument really gets going, and so you know, I comment, and then he comments, 
And it's it's not even that we're we're talking to each other. It's that we're talking to everyone, and everyone is watching us talk to each other. And it's immediate, and it's emotional reaction, and you know, I mean, just just by nature of the algorithm, it's it's programmed to get a response from you and yeah. an emotive response because the more emotive, the higher in the algorithm and the faster, and it's just more of everything. And it's just immediacy, everything now, everything all the time. And so, yeah, at this point, um, I, I am still sort of on Facebook. I read an article actually by Joshua Gibbs. You were talking about, and I think the title was resolved to quit social media by the end of 2021. Mm-hmm. And after reading that, I think I, I took the app off my phone. Yeah. Facebook. And I, I have Instagram. Instagram is um, it's less of a temptation for me. I'm an uh, Enneagram 5. So I don't know. I don't just get a huge thrill out of posting a lot of pictures of myself. I do post some stories and stuff. But for me, like the temptation is just like get in the threads and just like argue with people and convince them you're right. But so I did. I just. Well, OK. So actually, I do want to tell one story. I um. I was working on a piece that I was writing and it was, it was one that I knew would be received in a multitude of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I would have some friends, kind of the usual suspects probably who would be, you know, enraged because I was, I was really calling out the way that the church has associated with Trump over the last four years. And really, um, in my opinion, you know, been on the sides of things that they really shouldn't have. And that's what I was writing about. And so I just decided, well, I should say in the past, I've written things. I, I feel like, you know, that's that's kind of the job I want to do. Like I want to write and try mm-hmm. to understand and, and, you know, put your opinion out there. And that's one that's one thing. It's hard because Facebook is so multifaceted. Like that's one thing that it's really good for is if you're trying to put your work out into the world, Facebook is a great way to do that in terms of you can get an audience. And so... I guess it's it's kind of a double-edged sword. Like you want that audience, you want to put your work out there in faith, but then like you don't want to be ripped to shreds for it. And so in the past, it has caused me like serious anxiety. I don't know if I would say depression, but maybe like bordering on it when I'm just like constantly checking because I know people are cutting me down or degrading me or making contrary arguments mm. on my thread. And I just feel like I have to be there to see them and respond to them. Anyway, all that to say. So I wrote this article and it was pretty long. It was about 2,000 words. And um, I decided, I was like, you know what? I'm going to post this because, I mean, it's, it's not because I want people to see me and celebrate me. But, like, this is the work that I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. So I right. want to put it out there. I want to be faithful. But I'm not going to look at it. And so this was right over the time we were going to Phoenix. So I think we flew out and we got our connecting flight in Houston, I think, or Dallas. I don't remember. And I remember I was sitting on the plane um, about to get up in the air and head to Phoenix. And I, I posted it and then just, you know, didn't open up. Didn't, I, I heard my friends talking about it. They're like, wow, things are really getting heated on your article. And I was like, well, don't tell me. Cause I don't want to know. Yep. <laughs> I'm not looking at it. So we were in Phoenix for a few days and then flew back. And then, um, I think it was, it was on the plane ride back. I decided to go ahead and read through the, the feed and it had been about five or six days at that point. And it was just, it was just amazing for me just, you know, I went back and read it and there were people who said things um, that I thought were really good, some that I thought were really, you know, unthoughtful and unhelpful. But since it had been six days, there was the immediacy and just so much of the power was removed. And I just, I didn't like anyone's comment. I didn't reply to anyone's comment. I just didn't feel the need to be in the arena because I just, Mm -hmm. I put it out there and then I left it be and moved on. And that's, 
I think the approach I'm going to try to be taking in the future is just, you know, use use this force of Babylon for what it's good for, but but don't let it like dominate your life. Yeah, no, I completely agree, and and that's I mean I don't I don't write in that capacity, but I know like Josh Gibbs was saying, like when he, he like he wanted to write and he got he would get pushed back and things like that, and he found a similar kind of anxiety, and that's he said like if you're going to start, you need to post something and then disable comments. Hmm. He said that forces it forces it out of the kind of the realm of the immediacy and it forces a uh, thoughtful and lengthy engaged response typically. Um, and, and because then someone has to take the time to email you, um, to oh, engage yeah. with you or talk with you, whatever else it's not. Yeah. He said, I, I don't even know if he would promote his on, on social media from what he was saying, but I, I found that like a, a helpful way to, to think about it. Cause yeah, even the immediacy of, of, I would say for someone who is not a writer, but yet has strong feelings and convictions. Mm-hmm. You go on something like social media and you see something that you disagree with heavily or maybe even find thoughtful, unthoughtful or repulsive even. And um, it is true, though, like if you take five days off, you kind of come back on, you see someone that something that someone posted five, six days ago that maybe was inflammatory or whatever else, you don't even feel that need, though, as much <laughs> right. to go and comment because it's not in the tyranny of the now. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's really... Uh, um, um, well, the, yeah, I'm referencing Josh Gibbs like crazy because that's what I've been thinking a lot yeah. about, but he talks about, we'll talk about this some other time if we talk more about social media. Um, but he talks about the idea of social media just simply being a neutral tool and he makes a strong argument. I would say that it's not a neutral tool no. yeah. in the least bit. And in fact, it's forming, and this would be kind of Jamie Smith's arguments too, that that is shaping and forming how we respond to events. And, and so I found like you're saying, going off Facebook or cutting off comments, kind of a refreshing way to deal with tumultuous events of the day. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, actually, because I checked into this, unless you're a page <laughs> and it, you actually can't disable right. comments. So, like, right. as a person, I would totally have done that on threads before. You, you can delete them. That you also makes people your, really angry. Yeah. But um, you can't disable them. But, you know, these this idea of disabling the comments or – just refusing to get sucked in. I think, I think this is something that Christians we we kind of largely miss is we assume that our Christianity is a cultural, and it's just higher and above culture, mm-hmm. almost like an elite thing. But it's it's really not. I don't think it, it needs to be. But I think what we can do is co-opt the culture for our purposes. Co-opt things that are not intended for good and make them for good. It's like, I've heard it said. Facebook is evil, and <laughs> I don't really disagree. But I think that yeah. you know there are redemptive ways to use it, ways that you can co-opt something and and use it for a good purpose, or or at least not allow it to you know defile you, <laughs> yeah, exactly. corrupt you. Yeah, because that's I mean that's how it that's how it can feel. It, well, that's how I felt at least like taking that break is you do feel like it it has a stain almost that not perverts you, but it, it definitely yeah. twists. You can feel that. I felt something shift when I went on. That's the only way I can. Yeah, I mean, if you think it. about it, it's like if you can read what anyone thinks. Mm-hmm. You find <laughs> no out. offense, but why would I right. want to read what any of you guys think? Like you're not, you're not that good at what you're talking about. You don't know right. what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. Unless right. we're posting about, I had some skittles this afternoon. Like that's fun, and that that's more what Instagram is for. Right. <laughs> what I had for supper or breakfast. Yeah, or whatever. but man, what a crazy, what a crazy season. Yes, um, it is. And many things need to be said and have been said. Um, but we could kind of go different ways with this. But um, 
we could talk just briefly about like how do we even move forward? I've thought I've been thinking a lot about like how do you even move forward with some of these things? Um, and I honestly don't know that I have I've had a good answer. Read something on Comment Magazine and and they had a couple quotes in there that I thought were good and described the reality um, where you have your blues and your reds, Republicans, Democrats, and and Christians in this way definitely are not acultural. Um, I, I think just go on whatever social media outlet and you'll find out very quickly that we are caught up in the same fervor as many other people. Um, but blues, the, the article says that blues just assume that if reds could just be taught what is true, they would be enlightened into blueness mm-hmm. and then Reds, understandably, they smell this and they dislike that. And to be fair, Reds have their own version of arrogance, which um, the guy describes with the example that if you hear one more Red say, well, that's not a real, you know, so you hear this after the Capitol. Well, that's not a real Republican. Yeah, Yeah. it's the no true true Scotsman thing. Um, But anyway, the... Yeah, the spirit of the debate is definitely not defined as a contest in search of truth it's um it's a contest in convincing or or, or zero-sum con- contest yeah, in which right. you need to come completely to my side of things yeah. anyway with that kind of reality i have just been wrestling with how do you move forward because i get i get the idea of pluralism right so we all have a seat at the table um and i think that's maybe more of the blue push more pluralistic culture where it's you know, all viewpoints are welcome whatever else Whereas for your reds, they might have pushback, say, yeah, but once we actually start getting into debating the rightness and wrongness of differing viewpoints, when I give my take, I might be rejected as being backwoods or mm-hmm. whatever. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, you can disagree if, with my assessment if if you want, but I don't know. Any good ideas for how we even move forward, which we definitely won't solve in the next couple minutes? You know, I think one important thing to remember is that... <laughs> It is not about, um, I don't think it's about, it's not about finding an answer. And I, I think this is important to recognize. Like, I've seen people say, like, if you would just listen to this sermon or if you would just read this book, if you would just take a look at this article, then mm-hmm. you would see the error of your ways and we could agree and then we could move forward. But I just think that's such a naive position. Like, we're not going to agree. And, like, that's the point. Paul says, you know, in Christ, there is neither this nor that nor this nor that. Like we are one in Christ. So it's about living at peace. Mm -hmm. And so I think I think like that's the way forward. You're not going to get or I don't think you should seek to get into a church where it's all people of the same political party as you. It's about figuring out a way that you can live at peace. If you have more to say, go ahead. But there was this really interesting thing that I wanted to talk about. The big five. Yeah, no, let's let's talk because that would be kind of a segue to it. Be um, because this is kind of identifying how different psychoanalytic ideas can shape our political affiliation. Is that yeah, how it is going? something like that? Well, or more than psychoanalytic, more just temperament. Okay. Um, this is an idea that I heard from Jordan Peterson. I don't think he came up with it. Actually, I'm fairly certain he didn't. But it's <laughs> it's this idea that the the way that you view the world, broadly speaking, but like politics, um, economics, even maybe theology, just like your orientation towards things is largely driven by your 
your personality, your temperament, like your biology, the way that you're made up is, is a determiner of what you're going to believe about things. And like they've, they've done studies where, you know, they, they can map what you're going to believe about politics by the way that you answer personality questions, because the two things are so tightly related. So, um, psychologists, there's this, uh, I don't know exactly what to call it, but it's, it's called the big five. It's these five personality traits that they kind of, that you're mapped onto. And it, it largely corresponds to how you're going to, to think about things. So, um, the big five are, there's an acronym called ocean. The big five are openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. And I think a lot of us would recognize extroversion. Um, that's often something we kind of, you know, extrovert or introvert. But the idea is that, um, or I'll just, I'll just read kind of what Jordan Peterson was saying in, in the bit I watched him talking about. It. He said, conservatives are high in conscientiousness, which is like orderliness, and they're low in openness which makes them very good at managing because they're very conscientious people, very orderly. Liberals, on the other hand, are high in openness and low in conscientiousness. So this makes liberals more likely to be artists, entrepreneurs, people who are, I mean, they're open. They're open to new ideas. They, they aren't like bogged down by the confines that oftentimes conservatives are. And so what Peterson kind of concludes is that conservatives need liberals to start things but you don't want liberals running things because they aren't good at managing them they're super good like this is why um liberals tend to be like performers and musicians and like these creative types but they're not super good at running i mean we all know people like this like wow brilliant poetic who could even come up with that kind of thing and then the life but falls apart. also yeah. like what an idiot you know <laughs> yeah. what i mean like yeah. terrible at management and so if you can almost think of the political parties as like embodied mm -hmm. people and they have personality traits. And so I thought this was a super interesting way of thinking about the conversation. So I, I just kind of want to go down through these and uh, read them. So liberals tended to be open, um, high in openness, low in conscientiousness, and then conservatives tended to be high in conscientiousness, low in openness. And so openness, this trait features characteristics such as imagination and insight. People are who are high in this trait also tend to have a broad range of interest. They're curious about the world and other people and eager to learn new things and enjoy new experiences. Conscientiousness, which is the C in ocean, standard features of this dimension include high levels of thoughtful or thoughtfulness, good impulse control, goal-directed behaviors. Highly conscientious people tend to be organized and mindful of details. They plan ahead. They think about how their behavior affects others. They're mindful of deadlines. And then um, there's extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism, which we could get into, but I don't think they're quite as related to what we're talking about here. But mm -hmm. to me, this is this is such an interesting idea because if if this is correct, and the way that you're biologically constructed is a, I mean, I wouldn't say perfect, but a really good predictor of your political views on things. Then when you're bashing people over the head and saying if you're a liberal, you cannot be a Christian. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're basically just saying that that person shouldn't exist because <laughs> do you know what I'm, I mean, are you, you know what I'm saying? I think so. Tease that out a little bit more. I mean, it's like if you're, if you're a liberal, I mean, I've, I've had people th say this on my threads and I get called a liberal all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm not offended by it, but I'm like, I don't think that's true. Maybe it is. <laughs> I don't know. If you're a liberal, 
like you are fundamentally broken and you are wrong. Right. You, your viewpoint cannot be correct. But if what these studies are saying is true, <laughs> it's it's like it's your personality. It's it's the way that you are. And the same thing for conservatives. I mean, it's not just liberals who, in my circles, it's largely liberals who get right. bashed over the heads. But it's conservatives. Like these people who aren't just charging into the future, wide open, open to any new gender construct or idea mm-hmm. or way forward. You know, you're just you're closed minded and you're dumb. It's like, no, like there's actually yeah. value in being conservative. But right. you know, conservatives oriented toward the future and openness. Or, I mean, liberals, liberals, yeah. liberals yeah. yeah. And conservatives more oriented toward guarding what we have and not losing it. And these things, it's harmony. Yeah, It needs to be harmony. Yeah, And I think when you tie that in with the studies that have been done on um, the way like geography impacts that. So. So if you're a conservative and you have, say, moderate but leaning conservative views, right? But you put your, you live in geography where everybody else has the same, you know, moderate leaning mm-hmm. conservative views. You will actually become more and more conservative and more and more hardline conservative and yes. not and see any kind of um, differing viewpoint as um, extraordinary. And by that, I mean like outside the realm of ordinary or thoughtful or having a table a spot at the table kind of rhetoric and it's the same for liberals too um, right that's really interesting so you're saying it's it's geographically yeah shown. And, and when you look at how i mean just look at how we voted this past election season you can see blue dots where your urban centers were you mm-hmm. can see the big vast red areas where your rural areas were um and it just i mean you could just break down the geography so easily about where these places have been well, that's that's interesting because I've heard the same argument made um, in terms of actually algorithms and social media. Right. So it's like that's how that's how they make money. It's like if you're liberal leaning, they're going to show you things that are more liberally minded than you yeah. because you're more likely to watch those things. They'll be more interesting to you. And if you watch them longer, there's more ads. And if there's more ads, yeah. they make more money. Yeah. Or if you're conservative it's nothing really pulls you to the middle. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, no. I think we actually talked about this last season too. Yeah. I don't yeah. remember if we, cause yeah, there's an interesting report which detailed like how conservatives and liberals, like we actually watch completely different television. Mm. Um, like I think the number one show, if you're a liberal was like game of Thrones, whereas for a conservative, oh, I forget what it was. Um, anyway, but it made sense when you saw, and you could just see like, we're even experiencing, uh, if you're a liberal, you watch the NFL, if you're a conservative, you watch college football. Um, yeah. and that's just how it would break down. Like you, you even experience the world in completely different ways based on the algorithm. So it's more than just geography, but I think the psychoanalytic area or the temperament even yeah. area of approaching this, I don't know. That's, that's one, at least one path forward, um, where you at least have a little bit more. I think it forces you to realize that your neighbor is more than just a set of beliefs. Like yeah. if this is true and the way that I believe about politics is largely impacted by my biological makeup and just my temperament. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like, I mean, is it a stretch to say that the Lord made this person to be a conservative or mm-hmm. the Lord made this person to be a liberal? You know, like this is the way they were created. And so when you bash them over the head and tell them that they shouldn't exist, you know. And it, yeah, I think that's a more helpful terms to to even think of like conservative and liberal, like thinking of them as 
liberal as a certain temperament or approach to life. Yeah, then and you think of it yeah. that way, and a conservative more of a conscientious impulse control, goal-directed behavior approach to life. And that's going to interpret how... So instead of, you know, I mean, obviously you have to talk the nuts and bolts policy and all that, but just recognizing that that some of that is how... So in that sense, you know, created liberal or conservative in that some people are more open to new ideas, new changes, and other people aren't. Yeah, and you know what? I could be wrong about this, but what I think is a really interesting kind of application to this is People are all the time, or conservatives are all the time complaining about the media and mm-hmm. how the media is like liberal. And I, I think mm-hmm. largely that's actually true. Yeah. But if you think about it, you know, who are who are the video types, the writer types? Like they would tend to be more liberal people. Who are the people who make the entertainment? Like they're not your conservative grandpa. Like mm-hmm. they're people who tend to be more liberal or more possibly, not necessarily, more gifted in these, I don't know, like artsy, creative areas. And I wonder if that's why they tend to dominate different fields and why you don't see like what we would say fair media. You know right. what I mean? And I think on the flip side then, you, I think that's why even what I referenced earlier, like where where a conservative has, so he hears, you know, a liberal say, hey, everybody's got to see at the table. We're just going to, we want to hear all these ideas, all yeah. this. But then you come with a truly conservative idea that's that's been had before. <laughs> and been tried and tested, and that is actually a good one. But you bring it to the table, and because it's that kind of idea, yeah, it's shoved off the table as no, you need to come up with something new that's ridiculous. Yeah. Backwater, we've moved on yeah. and we've evolved on a different plane from that platitude. So, um, anyway, lots more to be said on that front. Yeah, um, I, the Jordan Peterson in the video that I was watching, we can put it in the show notes. He he has a very um, he's really into like archetypes and. Yeah, like mythical imagery, and I think it's really helpful and interesting. But he describes mm-hmm. describes the world we're living in. He, he describes it as a dragon that we're standing on the back of, or a serpent, and it's it's you know wobbling left and right as it kind of slithers ahead. And so that means that you want to stay in the middle of that thing. You don't want to fall off the cliff on either side. And as it slithers, sometimes the path to stay okay is to the right, and sometimes it's to the left. But you have to be willing to go back and forth. Yep. It's not always one way or you will fall off. Yep. I think that's a helpful picture and the piggyback on that with another animal injury, imagery. Um, but that's kind of more of a cultural view. Yeah. And, and Jonathan Haidt, who's a, social, a Jewish social, ugh, social psychologist, he, he makes the analogy of um, blind men on an elephant um, not the blind men touching the elephant. That's a different thing. But okay. um, this is, or not, not blind men. It's just men on it. Like, okay. You picture yourself as you are, your rider is your rationality uh-huh. and the elephant is your emotions. And you think that the man, the driver, the rationality has the reins to the elephant. Okay. Yeah. But the it's flip side is the elephant does whatever the elephant wants and has and, and your rationality can be caught up behind that and is actually downstream of what you are feeling at a more emotive level. Um, yeah. and so the horse and the cart, same idea. Yeah. Which one's coming yeah. first? It might be either one. Right. Um, and yeah. I, I think there's a good reason to think that there's more emotives or psychoanalytic yeah. reasons or personality. Anyway, um, a lot of things like that, that that can at least bring us to, I mean, at the very least, if we can get to humility, that's at least a starting point, which... I don't see it happening anytime soon for some, although there have been some some very good apologies in the last 
two, three weeks. Mm. Um, so hopefully we'll see more and find a better way forward. But for today, we're out of time. Please find our show, rate and review wherever you get podcasts at. Yeah. Uh, if you have any topics that you think would be interesting to talk about on the show, shoot us yeah. a message, let I us think know. One thing we're hoping to do this season is to um, is to find a good way to engage listeners and mm-hmm. to incorporate listener feedback into the show. It can be kind of tough to find a good kind of medium to do that. Yeah. We might have to use Facebook or Instagram. I have to. But if you're Colin, Colin won't see it. So that's right. Well, thanks you. everybody for tuning in. Yeah. We will see you guys next week here on the Abstract Podcast.